Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this message, you are challenged and encouraged by the Word of God and grow in your love for God and love for others. It is God's desire for us to be members of and regularly participate in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you are not attending a local church right now, we encourage you to take that step. If you do live in the North York area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to visit us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings to discern if this is the church God is leading you to. All right, if you want to... I want to turn with me to Luke 17, Luke 17. We are going to be going from verses 1 to 10. And Dale Davis said, Luke 17, 1 to 10, seems like bits and pieces, four of them. And the connections between them are not obvious if they exist. The sections seem to function like a collection of proverbs. Now, Proverbs is my fa- one of my favorite parts of the Bible to read. It blesses me like a bowl of grape nut ice cream because it's full of practical insight for living. And when I read that this week, that it feels like bits and pieces, like a collection of Proverbs, it, it actually inspired me to actually maybe write some advice. I said, let me try to write some advice to our church from these Verses. That's why the message is called Practical Advice from Your Pastor's Pen. I'm just going to try to give you some practical advice. Here's the first one. Be ready. Temptation is on the way. Be ready. Temptation is on the way. Look at verse 1. It says, and he said to his disciples, temptation, temptation to sin are sure to come. They're sure to come. He didn't say they might come. It says they're sure to come. Now, The word here for temptation is the word in the Greek, scandala. It means to be baited into something, to be lured into something. So when you're being tempted, you're being baited away into bad behavior. When you're being tempted, you're being lured from the good path to the crooked path. That is what is going on in your life. Now, here's a a crucial thing. Temptation is not sin. Temptation is not sin, but we have to fight it. It's not sin, but we have to fight it. See, when you are pregnant with temptation, if you go forth with the process, what it does is that it breeds sin. And if you let sin grow in your life, it produces spiritual death. If you let sin grow in your life, what it does is that it destroys relationships. How many relationships are a mess? Because we didn't choose to fight that sin, that temptation that came. When we allow sin to grow in our life, it will allow you sometimes to drift into habits of deception. I was reading this novel this week called A Thousand Acres, and there was just a line in it that said that sin continues to breed more sin. And so when we, when we fall into that pattern. It just, it, it, uh, sorry, into sin. We can just be sitting there in more and more deception. Why? Because sometimes in order to cover your sin, you got to continue to deceive others. And all of a sudden, it's a habit that you feel like I cannot break. John Kitchen says, temptation creates an appetite for sin that, seem, that seemingly cannot be satisfied. Don't you feel that sometimes? 
You have this appetite. You're like, what can satisfy this? It says, but when the backlash of its ways catch up to us, we despise the very thing we once craved. Think about that. I need this so bad. Then you get it, and then you're like, I hate that. Sin is deceptive. When you're you're tempted, don't sit back. Don't ignore that. Ask for help. Ask the Spirit, show me the way of escape. When you're tempted, change a habit. Move a location. I got to get out of here. Phone a friend. I need help. Temptation is a fact of life. Here's a crucial thing, though. You don't want to be the source of it in other people's lives. It's a fact of life. You do not want to be the source of it. Again, verse 1. And he said to his disciples, temptation to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if, if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea, then he, then he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. That phrase, little ones, if you got your Bible and you got a pen, you could just kind of mark, circle little ones and then just draw a line up to the word disciples. Little ones in this Context is a reference to disciples, just another way to talk about disciples. And causing a disciple of Jesus Christ to sin is no small thing. This is a picture, Shayon got you a picture of a millstone. I hope it comes up. There it is. That's a picture of a millstone. Jesus says it would be better to have this tied around your neck and thrown into the sea and drowned. Right? Sometimes you hear people who are like, oh, Jesus, he just never gives you any hard words. You're like, you haven't read the Gospels. He said it would be better for you to have this around your neck, thrown into the sea. That means this is like an anchor just dragging you down. You cannot come back up. Have this around your neck and drown and die this way. Then cause one of my disciples to sin. Sometimes, you know, you're studying your Bible. Here's a question to ask. What does this passage teach me about God? Here's what this tells you about God. He loves his kids. God loves and cares deeply about you. And when somebody messes with the children of God, that is a problem. He loves his kids. And Jesus says it's better to die this way than to face the judgment of God by leading someone astray. That's why the Bible says pay attention to yourselves. You see that in verse 3? Pay attention to yourselves, Jesus says. What's that telling you? It says, examine your life. Ask yourself, the way I'm living, am I laying bait for other people to fall into sin? Or am I living in a way that makes makes me a blessing in their life? Am I living in a way where I'm luring other people away from God? Or does my life move in such a way that it's causing people to love God? Pay attention to yourselves. Here's this next one, be loving. Believers are going to mess up. Practical advice number two, be loving. Believers are going to mess up. We're going to sin. Look at verse three. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The battle with the world, the flesh, the devil is very real. We are going to sin. We're going to have missteps. Some days, some weeks, it's victory. 
Some weeks, some days, it's defeat. That's just that's the that's the nature of being not fully redeemed. But I want here's the good news though. It's not going to be like that forever. The battle with sin one day will be. You right now, do you understand that you are free from sin's power? How many of us don't know that? That sin actually has no power over you because the spirit of God is in your heart, in my heart. So you can actually say no to sin. And sometimes we go in and out of that. We can have victory though. But there's a day coming where you're going to be free from the presence of sin. Power gone, presence gone, and living in complete victory in glory for all eternity with your Savior, enjoying your days. But for now, we will still struggle with it. And that, you know what that means? That means tough conversations are going to have to be had. Oh, somebody said, mm-hmm, say it again. Yeah, I love it. Daylight saving time doesn't stop us from talking. Am I the only one that's done with daylight saving times, by the way? Listen to me. You notice I'm here by myself? Nobody moved in my house this morning. No lie, I'm like, I guess I'm the only one that has to go. Nobody moved. River didn't even look at me. I'm finished with it. Anyway, anyway tough conversations are going to have to be had. Look at what he says in verse 3. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If your brother sins, rebuke him. Now that doesn't mean you cuss him off. That means you, you gently tell the person the wrong that they have done. Now, James Baldwin says, as you will discover, people find it very hard, very difficult to act on what they know. We know. We know that one of the most loving things we can do is speak a hard word to a person. We know that. But sometimes we avoid it, don't we? Just me, I guess. We avoid it. We run. Remember, earlier, Jesus, what do you say? Temptation is sure to come. This is one of the temptations. You know that? The temptation to run away from having a hard conversation with someone. Here's what you got to understand, though. When you are running away, when you are avoiding having that difficult conversation, when you are running away from giving a rebuke, you are running away from love. You're running away from being loving. Here's why. Because when you don't give that person that hard word that they need, when you don't have that tough conversation, you are robbing them of the opportunity to change. Sometimes people do things, they sin unintentionally, and they can't even see it, but your hard word might help them be like, oh, that's a blind spot in my life. I need to make a change. Psalm 141 says, let the righteous man rebuke me. It is oil for my head. A hard word is a good thing. We need those and we need to be willing to speak those. Here's this next one. Because we're going to mess up, forgiveness will need to be extended. Forgiveness will need to be extended. Verse 4 again. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. I'll read it again. You must forgive him. And notice that it it says, if he turns to you seven times. See, forgiveness for the disciple is not just a one-time occurrence. It's an ongoing habit. It's a thing that we do. It says, if the person repents, you must forgive him. Now, I want to give you some signs that a person is repenting. Here's some signs. 
They see their lack of wisdom and impulsiveness. All you got to do is go home and read Luke 15. They know that their sin against you is ultimately against God. They show godly sorrow over sin, and they're ready to accept the consequences. This one's not up there, but it's on mine. They're not demanding forgiveness from you. They're taking active steps towards making things right with others. Those are the signs that a person is repenting. Those are the things you look for. And every act of repentance requires an act of forgiveness. That's what the Bible is telling you. But let me say what you already know. Forgiveness is hard, ain't it? Guess it's just for me. Forgiveness is hard. If you agree with me, say, "Mm mm-hmm. Yeah, it's hard. It's not easy to forgive a person who betrays you. You see that with Jacob and Esau. And when you follow that story, what you learn sometimes is that sometimes in order to forgive a person, you need some time away from them. You need a little bit of separation. What's the term? A little social distancing. Sometimes we need that. It's not easy to forgive a person who attacks you. You see this in the story of Moses and Miriam. And what that tells you in that story is that sometimes the person you have to forgive shares your last name. Oh, you're not awake. It's not easy to forgive a person who abandons you. You see this in the story of Peter and Jesus. And this story tells you that sometimes forgiveness requires a patient, hard, loving conversation where you help the person see just how much hurt they cause. I'm giving you all these examples. And trust me when I say this, it's not accidental. I'm giving you these examples because in all of them, forgiveness was extended. Just go home and check it. In every one of these stories, forgiveness was extended. Here's the thing. I want to remind you that forgiveness is possible because sometimes it feels impossible. It's possible, but sometimes it feels like I just cannot do that. Do you know that's how the disciples felt? Look down at verse 5. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you have faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. When they say, increase our faith, do you know what they're saying? Jesus, you are asking too much. Who can forgive like this? Who can forgive this many times? They're like, what do you want us to do here? We can't do that. Sometimes we, are, we're just a, we look at our Bibles and we're like, come on, God. I feel like that. Maybe you don't. The disciples and Jesus were in a relationship. They could be real with him. They're like, you're asking way too much of us. And maybe you feel like that. But here's the thing. Be encouraged. A little faith can help you do what feels impossible. See, it's not about, when it comes to forgiveness, it's not about how much faith you have. It's about who your faith is in. And he says, a little faith. See, when our little faith meets God's unlimited power, you will catch yourself doing things that you were like, I could, never thought I could do that. And maybe you got somebody right now in your life, you're like, I'm not sure if I can forgive that person. 
Do you have a little bit of faith? A little bit of faith in God to say, yes, I know you hurt me, but God sees it. To say, yes, I know you hurt me, but God will give me justice. To say, yes, I know you hurt me, but I'm going to forgive you because God has forgiven me. A little faith can help you do what is in, feels impossible. Here's the way you can know you forgive someone. You said you've forgiven from your heart. From my heart, I forgive you. That's how you can know. From your heart. And forgiveness is not an emotion. This is very important. It's not an emotion. It is a declaration of pardon. It's not emotion. And once forgiveness is given, reconciliation has occurred biblically. Reconciliation means that the offense that caused the division has been removed. It's not an emotion. It's a declaration of pardon. And here's, here, I'm going to keep going here. Few signs that you're starting to heal from the hurt. And we got to go through this because it's, it's, not a, it's a complex thing that we're talking about. We give forgiveness, but there's a healing process. You are no longer rehearsing the wrong that has been done to you. And you're like, Marv, sometimes the memories come back, though. Does that mean I'm, does that mean I'm rehearsing it? <laughs> Kane's killing me over here. He's just... I, know, I know the memories come back, but that doesn't mean you haven't forgiven the person. It might be that your memory is still being reshaped by the forgiveness you have declared. Listen to me. Your memory... It's still, it might just, it's still being reshaped. It doesn't mean you have not extended it. And so what you got to understand here is you're growing. And you need to be patient with yourself. Here's this other one. You have no lingering animosity towards the person that hurt you. You're like, they're sitting right here and I feel mad at them though. It might mean that the forgiveness is still fresh. If you're feeling some lingering animosity, the forgiveness might still be fresh. And it hasn't had time to reshape your emotions to the truth of the forgiveness you have extended. Next one, you begin to pray for their salvation or sanctification. Sometimes the person you know, sins against you and they do it over and you start to realize that person might not actually be in the faith. Or they're growing. So you need to pray for them. Fourth, you start giving them opportunities to rebuild trust. I want to say something very important here, though. This is the key. You start giving them opportunities to rebuild trust if there is reason to believe that the person will not reoffend. Should I say it slow? If there is reason to believe that the person will not reoffend. It's, why, it's good and biblical to give forgiveness. It's unwise to put yourself uh, over and over in a place where you can be hurt over and over again. Be sensible. Reconciliation and building trust is not the same thing. Reconciliation and building trust is not the same thing. And so be wise. Practical advice. 
from your pastor's pen. Kendrick Lamar said, hurt people hurt people. <laughs> Shay said, I had a long catalog of artists. I'm just going to start rolling them out every week. Hurt people hurt people. Well, this text reminds you and teaches you that forgiven people can forgive people. We can do the thing that is hard. Now, here's the thing. When, when you do it, though, there's one, one temptation that you got to watch out for. Again, Jesus says temptation is sure to come. When you've obeyed God, there's a temptation that you got to watch out for. Look at verse 7. Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him, when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and I will dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what he's commanded? So also, when you have done all that you have commanded, say, we are unworthy servants, we've only done what was our duty. Now this parable is like a pair of skinny jeans. You're wondering like, does it fit? When you look at the, you're, you're, all that is going on, you're like, this kind of feels like it comes out of nowhere. Does it fit? Well, it does. Because Jesus tells it to us to actually protect us. See, when you've obeyed God, when you've done something as difficult as giving forgiveness to a person who has hurt you multiple times, there is a temptation to start feeling nice. Let me give you the biblical word. There's a temptation towards pride. To feel like God owes you something for what you did. To feel, to feel like somebody should give me a parade up and down Eglinton for what I did. Here's the word. Be humble. God is never in our debt. God is never in our debt. So you also, verse 10 says, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We've only done what was our duty. There's all kinds of people out there. Maybe some of you are sitting there right now and they're frustrated with God. They're angry with God. They're considering giving up on God all because they think God owes them something. And anytime you get into that spot where you start thinking that God owes you, if he doesn't come through on that piece of receipt, you're going to be angry with God. And sometimes as Christians, we can be, honestly, we're not really thinking about it, but we're doing it. We're doing certain things. I'm obeying this way because if I do this, I'm expecting God to give me X, Y, or Z. And that's not the way it works. And we are in this spot where we are, we are subconsciously not aware that we are, God owes me. God owes us nothing. God owes you nothing. God owes me nothing. God created us out of nothing. We owe him everything. He owes us nothing and he gave us everything. God gave us his best. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should have eternal life and not perish. God owes us nothing and he says, here, have everything. And God doesn't just give you this kind of, oh, I kind of like that. I kind of love that. He gives you the thing he loves most. God is a good giver. Owes us nothing and gives us everything. And so we obey God now, not to put God in our debt. We obey from a place of 
gratitude. Think about it. Ask yourself this. Is my obedience to God driven by gratitude? Or is it driven by this fact that I want God to pay me back somehow? God owes us nothing, gives us everything. And now we obey from a place of gratitude. We fight temptation because we're grateful for Jesus Christ who faced every temptation we have ever faced. And the Bible says, yet without sin. Never gave in once. We speak the truth in love because we're grateful for the truth who came, Jesus Christ. We forgive because we love our forgiving King who has forgiven us. We live from this place of gratitude all of your life. If you, if you want to sort of put it all together now, here's what it is. When you're fighting temptation from gratitude, I'm grateful to God, so I'm not going that way. I'm grateful to God, so I'm going to love my brother or sister in the faith and help them walk rightly with God by saying what they need to hear. I'm grateful that God has forgiven me so much that as hard as this is, I'm going to extend forgiveness to this person. I don't, maybe I don't feel like they deserve it, but that's what God has called me to do, and I need to trust God entrust my soul to a faithful creator while doing good. He will take care of it as I extend forgiveness. I think we're going to pray right now. I think Jen's coming up to lead us because we've talked about a lot of things, heavy things, and I think it's important for us to spend some time as a church praying into these things. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit hopetorontonorth.com.